special bonus episode of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction. If you or anyone that you know is struggling with pornography addiction, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. And okay, on episode 103, I was caught up in the moment. I was feeling it. I was so grateful for the response um, to the coupon code, all one word, happy new year, that I said I would keep it going forever and, and I would give everyone ponies and a new car and Apparently, that is not a sustainable business strategy. So let me just say that I am planning on extending the coupon code through the end of February. And I realize that these uh, podcasts um, become evergreens. They can be up there for a long time. Still have people every day now, which is kind of fun uh, going back and downloading the first episode um, and uh, all the all the back catalog. So uh, we're talking February 2019. So extending the coupon code, Happy New Year, all one word, you get $50 off the entire program of the Pathback Recovery course. And so you can find out, again, more there, pathbackrecovery.com. And, of course, please stop by tonyoverbay.com. Sign up there on the middle of the page to find out more about upcoming programs and a whole lot more. But And here's a plug to go find the Virtual Couch YouTube channel. So I recorded a podcast episode this week with a wonderful, amazing woman named Nikki Eisenhower. And it will air sometime next week. Uh, as a bonus episode. And I it, I recorded about something that I honestly hadn't heard of until a couple of months ago. And I don't want to give too much away but, um, for this podcast, but it's called HSP, which is short for highly sensitive person. And it's not a label. It's a, it's a thing. I mean, well, according to a website called highlysensitiverefuge.com, uh, they describe it as, do you feel things more deeply than others seem to? Are you easily overwhelmed by crowded spaces, hectic environments? Do you ever need to just withdraw and kind of be alone, get some downtime? If so, you might be a highly sensitive person, someone who has a high sensitivity. This is key to the sights, sounds, emotional cues, and other stimuli around you. And what's key about that is it's a healthy trait. Being highly sensitive comes with a variety of strengths and advantages. And at times it can also lead, though, to overstimulation and exhaustion. So that's just the beginning of what it means to be a highly sensitive person. So it was an absolutely fascinating interview, and I will turn it into podcast format next week. But uh, ever since I did the interview, it's, I've thought about it so much, looked up some additional data, and I've shared the info with a few clients, and it's led to, honestly, some pretty amazing sessions the last few days. So just uh, amazing discovery. So if you don't want to wait, go find the interview on the Virtual Couch YouTube channel. All right, so a few weeks ago, I was a guest on a very informative, extremely creative podcast called Marriage Therioke, and it's hosted by Celeste and Rich Davis, and uh, they um, run a website um, called marriagelaboratory.com, and that's been going for a, a, quite a while, and they have a lot of good data articles, um, and just a lot of information on marriage in particular, and they started a podcast. I think I was on, I think my episode was episode 17, so it's fairly new, and uh, they just, it's so creative. They, they come on at first, and they break down basically the mental health aspects of a popular song. So they took the song, You're So Vain by Carly Simon, and uh, you will never listen to that song in the same way after you hear them break it down. And it just, I love that part. They're funny, they're witty, they break down it line by line. And then if you're familiar with that song, you may guess that they were talking about narcissism. And so then I was brought on as the quote expert to kind of just break down the what a personality disorder is, what the current research says about the origins of a personality disorder. And that's the part that I really enjoyed talking about is I, I kind of went more deep dive than anything about um, you know, nature versus nurture. What does the data say about a personality disorder, maybe like narcissism? 
And then what the future looks like if you're in a relationship with somebody that you may feel has a personality disorder, um, specifically narcissism. So we cover how to recognize if you're in a relationship with uh, possibly a narcissist or someone with narcissistic tendencies, what you can do to keep your sanity and peace within the home, what not to do, um, and specifically how you uh, can recognize that you are not um, feeling, I mean, you're not crazy when you have things kind of turned back against you. Uh, we cover the concept of gaslighting, emotional manipulation, and a whole lot more. So it's, I just really enjoyed that episode because here's this fun, kind of funny part about the You're So Vain song. And then we just had a really good interview about um, narcissism. So you can uh, actually, I'm about to, I'm about to play it now. I was going to say, you can find that on um, their website. And you can go to marriagelaboratory.com and I'll have things posted up on tonyoverbay.com. And oh, in this interview as well, uh, the interview portion with Celeste and myself, it's also up on my YouTube channel, the Virtual Couch YouTube channel. But uh, I really encourage you to listen to what I'm about to play or um, go find their podcast and go find their podcast and subscribe and rate and all that kind of stuff because they do this for a lot of songs and, and they have a lot of good guests on there. So it's just a lot of fun. So let's get to my interview. Um, the, or the interview with me on Marriage Therioki and uh, on the topic of narcissism. There are a number of lasting, still never solved mysteries in the music world. Who commissioned Mozart's famous unfinished final requiem? Was Pink Floyd's album Dark Side of the Moon written specifically to sync up with the movie The Wizard of Oz? Was Rebecca Black's famously viral song Friday secretly about the JFK assassination? It's Friday, Friday, gotta get down on Friday. (laughs) That last one, probably not. Famous mysteries all, but mysteries they remain. But there's only one musical mystery more mysterious than them all. Who was singer-songwriter Carly Simon singing about in her famous song, You're So Vain? Written in 1968 but released in 1977, Carly Simon has kept the rumors about who was the inspiration of this song for all of this time. She was married to James Taylor, and she'd had a relationship with actor Warren Beatty. She'd also had a fling with Mick Jagger, plus relationships with other famous musicians and writers, and on and on. Over the years, Simon has divulged letter clues and has claimed that the subject's name contains the letters A, E, and R. Can we finally crack this case? No. No, we can't. But we can talk about how being in a relationship with a narcissist can be challenging. Now that we can do, and we will do it today on Marriage Therioki. Welcome to Marriage Therioki, a podcast brought to you by MarriageLaboratory.com. This is the relationship slash music podcast where we take popular love songs and give them the therapy they need. I'm Celeste and I'm not really a marriage therapist. And I'm Rich and I'm not really a singer, but we're going to try this anyway. Every week on the show, we listen to a song and decide if it's giving questionable relationship advice. And sometimes with the help of a guest expert, we make it better, hopefully giving you some good advice about healthy relationships along the way. And at the end of every episode, we debate we debut a song rewrite with some new words, improved healthier lyrics, performed with marginal ability by me. And speaking by speaking of song performances. <laughs> speaking of marginal musical ability. 
It's time for my favorite segment of the show. Rich sings our reviews on iTunes, and we've got a good one today. We do. So this uh, song, this this episode is dedicated to Jamie Reeds, who left us the following uh, iTunes review, and it was written in a very particular way. See if you can pick up what's different about this iTunes review. Dear Marriage Laboratory, I tried your companionship inventory. You mentioned in episode 5 in order to help keep love alive. I loved it. It's great. It's hard to overstate the joy I found in sharing the ways my husband is caring for me. Your podcast is delightful. Each episode insightful. The songs by Rich are really his niche. Celeste, Celeste knowledge is vast about marriages that last. I'm excited for what's in store. Please, 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 please give us more. XO, XO, Jamie sincerely satisfied. Woo! That was such an awesome review. Not all our reviews have to be um, in poem form. <laughs> I, I we sure appreciated that one. I request that more people <laughs> write them. In fact, it's a challenge for Rich. So they can be sung in song form. You know, the funny thing was, is I read through this several times before picking up on the fact that, wait a second, this rhymes. Hey, that'll be really easy to sing. Oh my gosh, it's meant to do that. So <laughs> awesome. very Thank exciting. You, Jamie. Jamie reads that was fantastic. And it's been a little while since you left that uh, review. We're getting through them chronologically. And I'm so happy you left that for us. If you want to go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes, it will get sung on an episode. Okay, Celeste, are you ready to get into this song? Ready. This, okay, this happens a lot of the time, but I had very low appreciation for the song. But then listening to it a couple times, I really find a lot of stuff that I actually like quite a bit. So before we get into the music part, uh, and we'd have quite a bit to cover today, um, this story is just so wild. This, I mean, have you heard about have this mystery before as to who it's about and all these people it could potentially be? Had you ever heard of that? Only three days ago when you told me. I See, I had heard about this just, you know... Um, that is people still guessing she would go on like the Howard Stern show and people were like bugging her about it. Um, you know, even, you know, like David Bowie, David Cassidy, Cat Stevens, all these like famous musicians from the sixties uh, and seventies, they're all like rumored to potentially be the person. And some other people would listen to the lyrics and like, well, it couldn't be me because I never flew a jet to Nova Scotia. I have a jet, but I never flew it to Nova Scotia to see a total eclipse of the sun. That's one of the lyrics. So people have been fascinated and interesting and bugging her. And she's been kind of milking it along, I think a little bit. And in fact, in 2003, there was a charity auction where she auctioned off the answer to uh, uh, Duncan Dick Ebersol. He's like a TV executive, but he had to sign an agreement to never tell anybody. <laughs> so it really seems like, you know, she knows it's not really about one person. Apparently verse two is about Warren Beatty, the actor, but, um, well, like we're going to go ahead and listen to some of this. Um, it's, it's just interesting that this has gone on for so long. So I definitely have stuff I want to talk about, but the first thing is, uh, I'm going to, it's really quiet. So I actually have to crank up the volume a little bit. I really want you to hear this awesome, awesome introduction. That guitar is so awesome. It's so bluesy and jazzy. I love it. I can't get enough. 
Here we go. Check out these wild lyrics about what this guy, the song is about, whoever he is, is doing. Like it's already so much. Um, if you were doing a video podcast, Celeste, could you describe how you would walk as if you were walking onto a yacht? Well, <laughs> by principle, I try to walk everywhere as if I'm walking onto a yacht. You know, that's true, actually. I mean, <laughs> it's hard to describe in this audio medium, but if you could see it's it, called oh, yacht walk. She's doing it right now. Oh, she's walking around the room, she's walking over our dirty laundry. Oh, Nope, I got it. I no, I, I don't. Regret, I look like I belong on a yacht. I regret That's doubting. What people say when I walk past the other line. Put that woman on a yacht. <laughs> so besides that, the hat strategically dipped below one eye. The only person I've ever seen do that is Carmen Sandiego. <laughs> <laughs> and your scarf, it was apricot. So I just, I cannot for the life of me picture this human being <laughs> walking smugly into a party, swaggering in with an apricot colored scarf with a hat covering half of their face. Oh boy, I love this so much. I'm already so on board. All right, let's listen to the next bit. I love that line. You As you watched yourself gavotte. You know what a gavotte is? Such a good line. Like a strut. It's kind of like, it's like, it's like this old, it's a term for like an old French dance. Oh. Like the gavotte was like a thing that you would do at like, sort of like thinking of a Pride and Prejudice style party. It was like uh-huh. one of the dances sort of thing. I could be, I'm sure there's someone who knows and they're like yelling at me that that's not, not the case. But it's kind of like a dance you would do to like sort of like impress people or like how to romance someone. So he's doing it to himself. <laughs> and yacht, apricot, excuse me, apricot. And Gavotte, like what song in the known universe <laughs> could actually do that in the first verse before we get to the catchy chorus? It's it's astonishing, this song. I really am into it. All right, let's keep it rolling. And all the girls dreamed that they'd be your partner, they'd be your partner. Awesome, build up. to hit on this irony here that she says i bet you think this song's about you and it is the whole thing (laughs) it really is like i try ironic it is ironic because and like i'm trying to give it a level of like self-reflection because you could write a song that's about like your journey that involves the other person or you moving on from the person and like secretly it's not it's not about that person it's about your own progress but she doesn't talk about herself really Mm -hmm. she does here in a second and we'll listen to that but yeah it's it's exactly it's about this person um musically i love that build up that all the girl and all the girls thinking that is so awesome and the build up i find the chorus a little bit hokey personally like a little bit cheesy i like those harmonies but like I, there's a lot I didn't think I would like about the song musically, and I really like that. And yeah, like so listen to this next verse, everybody, and yeah, just decide if it really is about this person or if it's about her. And it's about the other person. Here we go. Happy Sarah. 
So I, it's just maybe worth stopping to recognize, you know, this is a story of someone. So let, let's talk more about this guy. We kind of made fun of like the the yacht walk, the yacht walk, <laughs> and the gavat and the scarf. But like this is someone she had a relationship who made these promises about who she was, and she recognizes later that she was naive to believe him. So this really does paint a picture of someone who is pretty self-centered and vain and you know acting in their best interest and definitely not her best interest so i think that's definitely worth highlighting in that little bit and just the last bit of the second verse but you gave away the things you loved and one of them was me painful some dreams they were clouds in my coffee clouds in my here we go But boy, that is a gut punch of a verse, right? Like you had me 20 years ago. You promised you'd never leave. Just uh, several years ago. Several years ago. What did I say? 20. Oh. Well, inserted that in my, my own brain. Um, but yeah, then then you gave away things you love and one of them was me. And then I had dreams of my own and there were clouds in my coffee. I don't really, that's very poetic, but just like that very plaintive giving up on your dreams for someone else. Ugh. So, uh, so, segue, today we are talking about narcissism and specifically if you are married to a narcissist. So, specifically, Celeste, what is a narcissist versus someone who is just self-centered? Yeah, good good question. Because we, we all are occasionally narcissistic, occasionally. Everybody acts in their self-interest. But it's estimated that about 15% of people have personality disorders. That's not just narcissism. That's all sorts of things. But somebody who is clinically narcissistic, some characteristics are the inability to empathize, mm -hmm. understand or care about other people's feelings. Um, rules don't apply to them. That apply to everybody else in their own mind. Like super ego, like everyone else exists to in relationship to you. You don't matter. People matter only so far as they can benefit you sort of thing, right? Right. And so I, they and, objectify people to their own gains. And I think it's important you say this is like a, we're talking about clinically diagnosable personality disorder narcissism. Because you said like, we all act narcissistically. Well, we all act like selfishly or self-centeredly. But this is like, you know, you are not just having a selfish time in your life or you're just acting immature. This is like you have a personality disorder diagnosed by a professional. Yeah. Um, and if you want to hear more about narcissism and how to define it and how to work with it. I really recommend Tony Overbay has an excellent podcast talk called the virtual couch and spoiler alert. He is our guest today. Tony Overbay. Interesting. <laughs> he does sound like a narcissism expert, <laughs> but his, he has his episode 86. He interviews a lady named Christine Hammond, who is a personal personality disorder expert. And they define narcissism much more thoroughly and they spend an hour talking about it. So I recommend that. I'll link that in my show notes. So like Celeste said, we have Tony Overbay, an interview, pre-recorded uh, interview with Tony Overbay today. And it 
is a really great interview. Um, like she said, Tony has his own podcast, The Virtual Couch, and he's been a practicing therapist for a long time. And um, we are going to do a marriage therapy first, which is there was so much good content in this conversation that Celeste had with Tony that we could not find a way to cut it down into a reasonable amount of time for like a single podcast. So um, reasonable for us. Right. Reasonable for you, our listeners who've expressed- We like to keep it under 40 minutes. Yeah, so. exactly. So what we are going to do today is we are going to listen to um, the first, I don't know, over half, uh, two thirds about of this podcast. And then what we're going to do is uh, we're going to take the rest of the interview and release it as a episode 17.5 um, on a, 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 you know, maybe in the middle of this week or something. So that if you are interested in hearing more about some uh, practical advice on understanding and living with someone um, with whom you have a relationship who has a uh, personal personality disorder, you can go ahead and listen to the rest of that because we don't want to deprive you of any of uh, Tony's really great uh, insights into this really important issue. Yeah. It's a great interview. We hit on the do's and don'ts of being married to a narcissist. And also I have linked to all of the episodes that Tony mentions in our interview of his podcast on the show notes. That's uh, marriagelaboratory.com slash blog slash 17. All of those links are going to be there as well as Rich's rewritten lyrics. Those are always in the show notes as well. So let's jump on in. All right, Tony, thank you so much for being interviewed. Agreeing to be I'm excited. Okay, all right, right out of the gate, uh, true confession on, I saw the concept of your, the concept, I saw a post about your podcast on social media. Mm-hmm. And I loved the idea. And of mm-hmm. course, when you kind of see the title, Mary's Therioki, I'm thinking, okay, I got to go look this up. And, and I was afraid of it. I was almost afraid that you might reach out someday because my immediate thought was that I'm going to end up having a scene. So <laughs> has anybody already told you that? I mean, is that, is that a fear? No, we never make our guests sing. That would be terrifying. I don't even sing. <laughs> well, and that's, and that's what, you know, so then when I started kind of, okay, I'll start listening to some, and it was, oh, the guest doesn't sing. And I think I even told my wife that it's like, Hey, this is a really cool podcast, but I'm afraid of it, you know. And, and then, sure enough, when you had reached out, I thought, okay, I got to conquer my fears. It's going to be uncomfortable, <laughs> but I'm ready to sing. So, thankfully, I don't have to. Thank you for right. being willing. <laughs> sure. Yep. That's fun. No, singing is one of my greatest fears, so I can relate. <laughs> okay, so Tony, tell us about what you do and who you are, and about all about your awesome podcast. No, you're very kind. Um, so I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm a very old man. I just turned 49. Isn't that wild? Oh, so um, old. No. For so old, right? When I when I don't know when my when I was young, 49 was like that was really really old. And now now I'm that old guy that's saying I feel great. But so uh, but I'm a father of four. My kids are um, 14, 16, 18, and 20. Uh, I've been married for 28 years, and uh, I did my first 10 years in computer software. Thank you. Thank you. And I just I I wasn't passionate about my job, and so. Um, I went back to school, became a marriage and family therapist. And, you know, one of the greatest decisions I ever made, even though it was, it took a long time and it was scary and that sort of thing. But man, I, I love what I do. And uh, I have a podcast called the virtual couch and uh, started that. I think I'm on episode 95 or 96 and just started that as something just labor of love and wanted to, I started just feeling so passionate about topics about parenting and couples communication. And, and then I work really heavily or in the world of addiction. And I just felt like, man, people need more hope there. We got to get rid of guilt and shame and we got to kind of identify what addiction really is about and people aren't horrible, all those things. And so that was kind of what led me to creating the podcast. And boy, that's just been a blast. And then I have an online uh, pornography addiction recovery program called Path Back Recovery or it's pathbackrecovery.com. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's a real strength-based, you know, 
model that's just helped a whole bunch of people kind of put that in the rearview mirror once and for all. So uh, wow. that's me. You're doing so much good in the world, Tony. I My hat is off to you. I love your podcast. I loved yours because it was both helpful and you remain, I don't know, engaged, upbeat. It's interesting. It's, I just really, I've mm-hmm. always been very impressed with your podcast. So good job. I appreciate it. I do. And, and that's what I'm thinking about yours too. Actually, I love you guys are obviously creative. I feel like that's the part I miss out on. I can, mm-hmm. I can, I can get all excited and preach and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, sometimes I'm like, I need to do something cool, like sing a song or, you know, <laughs> I together like that. So no, I love it. I, and, and I, I know now we're going to sound like we're doing the whole cliched and gushing and, but I mean, I really do feel like there's, uh, the more podcasts, the better, the better helpful mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, kind of can't get enough of it. A lot of people have a lot of downtime. Um, even though I know we live in this world where everyone is busy, but I think if we look at the amount of time that we do spend on whatever social media, binging on Netflix shows, doing that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the concept of where, you know, we have things like your podcast, hopefully mine that are at least kind of keeping people engaged and hopeful and learning new tools. And I, I just love that whole, the whole podcast movement. Absolutely. I do. I do too. Okay. So do you mind if we jump into today's topic? Let's do it. Okay. So topic today is being married to a narcissist. So we're going to kind of talk about being married to a narcissist 101, the do's, the don'ts, but we got to first off start by defining narcissism and maybe also just personality disorders in general. Yeah. So this is, and it is interesting. I, this is one of those, again, where I never saw myself when I started down this path of working so much in the world of personality disorders and narcissism. And as quick as I can you know, get there working with men in addiction, um, I start recognizing that addiction is really kind of not feeling connected, whether or not feeling like they're a good enough dad or husband, or they don't like their careers or their health, or they're, they're not connected in their faith or their any of these things. And so then when they don't feel good about something or themselves, then they turn to addiction. Mm-hmm. So that led me to start doing a lot of couples counseling, which I never thought I would do. And now mm-hmm. I love couples counseling and couples counseling. I'm a big uh, fan of this modality called EFT, emotionally focused therapy, mm-hmm. it's this evidence-based framework, this modality that just works and it, and it helps people feel like they can, they're safe and that they can communicate to their partners and their partners know what to do with it. They listen with empathy and understanding, and we learn more about our partners and we feel like we can just you know, go to our partner with anything, uh, mm-hmm. anything that's on our train of thought. Awesome. But then when I start doing more of the couples counseling, you'll see, you know, five or six sessions in a day and it's just going really well. And all of a sudden you'll have one where something's just not happening here. Right. And, uh, and typically somebody's, you know, in the EFT world, they say, you're putting out an emotional bid. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing a little bit of my heart with my partner. And, uh, and it's this touching moment when your partner says, oh my gosh, tell me more. And I never realized that. And thank you for sharing. And that, and that makes me understand, you know, when I respond, this is what you do. And then all of a sudden you get one where it's like record scratch. Okay. See what I did there? That's a pun kind of, right? <laughs> yeah, the there you go. Good job. So the record scratch. And then it's like, wait a minute, you know, person just put out their emotional bid and now their partner's just saying, sorry, I don't buy it. You know, and do you know what this is like for me? And, you know, and, and I, and at first I'm thinking, what, what, what is going on? You know? And so then you start really looking at, okay, what is happening there? And you'll pull that person aside you start doing some individual sessions. And you really learn that sometimes things like empathy are a little bit of a challenge mm-hmm. or the person just at their core um, feels like they're just, they're not heard. And so, you know, even though I've got this modality, this model that I know works and I'm preaching it and there's books about it and podcasts about it, it's almost like the person in the room is saying, okay, but if I, if I tell you, if I can sell you on how crazy my spouse is, then you'll throw this whole, you know, <laughs> EFT thing out and you can help me tell her she's crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, and that's, so as I'm seeing that, I'm starting to recognize, okay, you know, maybe this is something different. And I start doing a lot of work around personality disorders. So a personality disorder in general um, is, you know, so personality is, it's the way that we think and, you know, it's our, it's our feelings. It's, it's kind of our, um, it's the way we behave. 
And we all have our own unique personalities. I mean, we, you know, we, we understand that, but our personalities are experienced by a lot of different things. We've got the whole nature nurture. We've got experiences. We've got an environment, um, inherited characteristics of somebody born with something or, you know, all of that, or, or is it a mix of, of all of the above? Right. But so let me, let me go all smart here. And according to the American Psychiatric Association, right. Mm-hmm. Um, a person's personality typically stays the same over time. A personality disorder is a way of thinking, feeling, and behaving that deviates from the expectations of the culture uh, causes distress or problems functioning and lasts over time. So what starts to get kind of deep is when you see um, that I really feel like that listening and empathy component are where things then start to deviate as far as uh, personality goes. Mm-hmm. So we can all have all of our own experiences and our baggage and all that stuff we bring to the table. And even when I'm talking about this EFT couples therapy, mm-hmm. if I'm saying to somebody, um, here's my thoughts, you know, here's why, um, I don't know, I'll give you a really silly one that happened a few days ago. Uh, somebody talking about why they don't like dogs because their their husband had just brought a giant dog in the house. And so this person saying, I don't like dogs, you know, and, and instead of saying, okay, tell me what that's about. And then if the, you know, the partner says, okay, I've always had a fear of dogs. We had a giant dog in our neighborhood that then attacked our little dog. And, and, you know, and so, and I'm just scared of them and they bark. And I was always around these dogs and a friend of mine had been bitten by a dog and had a scar on her face. And so it, they're, they're terrible. You know, they're horrifying. Mm-hmm. And your partner listens and goes, oh my gosh, I, that's, that's heavy. That's deep. You know, I understand um, you know, I just thought they'd be fun, you know, then mm-hmm. it's like, okay, so probably not going to get a dog, but if your partner shares all of that and then, you know, spouse who just got the dog says, okay, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, you're an adult, you're a grown up. you know, you need to get over it. And I like dogs, you know, that's the part where it's like, okay, you know, that's that type of personality that, uh, kind of deviates maybe from the norm, it deviates from the coming and listening with empathy, I guess. Right. So I'm talking a ton, Celeste. Oh, it's great. <laughs> Right. But so that background, right? So, so then, so then I just wanted, I've never really got to talk about this on a podcast. So thank you. I'm in a soapbox for another minute or two. Of course. Uh, I think what, what kind of gets really, really interesting is, um, me, I I did take another set of notes here. Um, okay. Here's where things get kind of, so a lot of people will say, was the person born with a personality disorder? Did this develop over time? Right. And we kind of now know that a lot of the concepts of personality disorders happen when people are in their childhood. And sometimes we'll even be dramatic and say, uh, trauma in their childhood. Okay. So um, I like this. This is again from, I think uh, it's from a psychology today article it says small children are naturally selfish as a normal part of development, in which they get their needs met. Uh, they work to get their needs met. And they don't understand other people's needs and desires. So little mm-hmm. kids, we understand that they just, it's all about them. Mm-hmm. Um, as teenagers, kids are still typically self-centered as they struggle for independence. And any parent of a teenager knows that part. Sure. Um, but here's where I think things are really interesting. Um, as opposed to self-centeredness that should generally decline, Children need to develop healthy, lasting levels of self-esteem to be able to protect and care for themselves. But here's the key, while caring about others, um, to be able to resist dangerous influences and to stay connected to family and society. So there's this concept of self-esteem versus self-centeredness. Hmm. So, you know, you can develop self-esteem when you know that you have parents who love you and care about you and you're raised in an environment that's supportive and you know you can go there for trust and safety and security. Mm-hmm. So you can develop self-esteem. Self-centeredness is uh, something that kind of, you know, it doesn't lead to putting, um, putting someone else first, you know, what self-centeredness does is it kind of leads to putting yourself first, even at the detriment of others. So most people make this transition from, you know, self-centeredness to maybe self-esteem mm-hmm. or, or maybe not as much self-esteem, but it really starts to give way to empathy and understanding where other people are at. So when people are kind of locked into that self-centered from, from, you know, childhood, mm-hmm. um, then, then now we're kind of on the road to personality disorders. So at this point, then, you know, they are locked into this. No, no. If you understand what I'm dealing with or what I'm you know, then you will all understand that, you know, uh, my struggles and you will all, you know, 
want to to hear me and you will all understand that the things that you're sharing maybe aren't necessarily as important or relevant or that sort of thing. So there's our primer on personality disorders. And, uh, and so with narcissism, I did jot down a few things of, um, you know, how do you know, right? Is that kind of the question then? How do yeah. You know if you're Defining married? narcissism and then like, how do you know if you're married to one? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I often kind of run down a little bit of a checklist of, do you often feel controlled or do you feel like you're manipulated? And a big one is when people feel like they're starting to lose their sense of self. Mm. Um, in a healthy relationship, you know, you really do want to edify each other and all the good cliches of one plus one is three and all that kind of stuff. Those are real. Yeah. Where you feel like your partner has your back. They're there for you. And you can, you, you feel like you could explore anything with your partner. Uh, if you're feeling a little bit more controlled or manipulated, or you feel like, okay, my hopes and dreams are now shot because some of I mean, basically my partners told me that they're ridiculous or they're selfish or that sort of thing. Mm. You know, that's when I start to kind of really start to worry about it. Mm. Um, you know, some of the other ones that are pretty fascinating or does your partner have one set of rules or expectations for him? I'll say him or her. And, uh, you know, the large majority of narcissists are men. That's kind of a, um, there's the data that backs that up. There are women narcissists though. I've worked with plenty of those too. Mm-hmm. Um, but so do they have their own set of rules and then yours, you know, that they don't apply to you. I mean, I think that's one that becomes pretty common too. Um, examples are usually around money. Okay. You know? So maybe it's a, Hey, things are really tight. And then he comes home with a set of golf clubs or a new car. And then he's like, no, it's different. Like I need these for work, you know? And then it's okay. Well, you know, I don't know. I need clothes for the kids. And he's like, okay, you know, uh, they got a pair of shoes. They can make that last or, you know, so it's like these different set of rules or expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the big one is, uh, does your partner dismiss your feelings? Do they say that you're crazy or you're too needy or you shouldn't feel the way you're feeling when people around you are saying, no, you're, you're all right. You know, um, there's that term, I don't know, are you familiar with the uh, gaslighting? Yes. That's what I was just about to bring okay. up. Yeah. Okay. So that's in, I, I did a whole episode on that a little while ago, just because one morning I, I was just, kind of fired up. Um, cause you know, I just felt like I was dealing with so many people that are getting gaslit um, and, uh, you know, Hey, do you know the origin though of the term gaslighting Celeste? Not that you knew you'd be quizzed on your own podcast. This you is know, fun. it's so funny that you brought that up because Rich was telling me this like two months ago and I completely don't remember, but he did tell me <laughs> we were talking okay. about it. I, I even thought I knew it. And then I finally looked it up again. And so it was a movie, I think from the forties called Gaslight. Yes, Gaslight. That's right. I, and then I was even, okay, well, I, 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 then I knew to say that, but so the way that the, I guess in the, in the movie, um, there were, it was, uh, before electricity. So there were lamps, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, the guy would continually lower the light and he would tell the woman that, no, I didn't do that. You know, you're so all of a sudden she's thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going crazy. <laughs> yeah. Right. He, he's saying that the light's still the same intensity and it's, uh, and, uh, I don't think it is. So what's wrong with me. And so that's the stuff that breaks my heart when somebody can go into, um, you know, when somebody can go into a conversation and then leave and they feel like what's wrong. I wrote a, uh, I changed everything because I don't want to, you know, but I wrote an example of one that was similar to something I heard recently where let's just say, for example, um, a wife says to the husband, what do you want for dinner? He says, Hey, I'm easy. It doesn't even matter. And then she says spaghetti. And he says, are you kidding? And then uh, you say, why? Uh, what does that mean? And he says, you know, I don't like spaghetti. Um, and then you think to yourself, He's never said that in his whole life. Like we've had spaghetti many, many times. And so then of course, then you say, Oh, I didn't know that. And I thought you ate spaghetti for years. And then he says, okay, define eating it. If you mean that I move it around my plate and then throw it down the garbage disposal, you know, okay, then maybe that's the case. Um, you know, but so apparently you don't even notice that I don't eat it, which is part of the bigger problem in our marriage or I don't think you pay attention to me. And I feel like you're the one that is more self-centered and you know, that sort of thing. Right. By the end of the conversation, the woman's saying, Oh my gosh, I guess I haven't noticed. And maybe he hasn't liked spaghetti. And, and it's like, but 
No, she knows he loves spaghetti. I mean, he basically has a shirt in the closet that says, I love spaghetti, you know? But if he goes and if she goes and finds that, then he's going to be, you know, I never wanted that shirt to begin with, you know, or um, that sort of thing. So. Wow. Good example of something as benign as spaghetti could. I got another one. Okay. I know that. Okay. So this was what I wrote down too. The other last, that oftentimes they'll blame you for their feelings or their problems. Mm -hmm. And this was a long time ago. And again, I've changed all the names and all these sort of things. But a person was telling me about, it was a narcissistic in-law that was at their home. And and I was reminded of this one because it was around the holidays. And uh, he knocked a drink off of a table. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, instead of like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, my bad. I knocked the drink off. You know, you can probably guess the person who said, he said, uh, what kind of idiot leaves their drink here? You know, and this uh, person said, on a table, um, you know, <laughs> probably a lot of, you know, and, he's, and, he, and then of course he was like, well, I mean, it was too close to the edge and, and uh, you know, with the, the kids you have in this house, you shouldn't just have glasses. Out. I mean, it was like, you know, and, and the good news was she had been working on this for a while, had to detach. So she just kind of looked at it like interesting, you know, mm. I believe this is gaslighting. And so, <laughs> you know, it was pretty powerful. Wow. Yeah. That is a good example. Okay. So are you ready to take us through some strategies or yeah. some common pitfalls, maybe the, the don'ts of being married to a narcissist? Yeah. The don'ts are rough. Um, the don'ts are, and it's so hard because what I start doing a lot of is just kind of trying to help people learn to not engage in what I just call the crazy making. Mm. And that is the, so when you know that, uh, you're, I don't know, when you know, he likes spaghetti or, you know, that it wasn't, it wasn't silly for you to put a drink on a table mm-hmm. and, uh, then just detach. I mean, and it's so hard. So the detachment is knowing that I'm not going to, and this is the hardest part. Matter of fact, let me take a step back. Okay. There was a few years ago where someone had actually sent me an article and the article talked about, um, emotionally abusive partners, spouses. And there's just one little part in there. It was talking about personality disorders, borderline personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, uh, histrionic personality disorder, you know, all of these things. Mm-hmm. And it talked about how the person in the relationship spends their life almost kind of trying to find the, the thing that they can say or the thing they'll do where then their partner will have this epiphany or this aha moment. And then they'll go, oh my gosh, you're right. I've been doing this the whole time. I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. And it's almost like that seeking that mm. is, is, you know, it, that's the crazy making. Mm-hmm. So, which sounds so, it can sound so hopeless, but yeah. in reality, when you kind of learn that, Hey, I'm not crazy. Um, you know, so when they say something that is, I know is not the case to detach, it's like, oh, okay. You know, I, I, I thought you did, you know, and, and then if they kind of tr- still try to amp things up, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get in that conversation. And I will say the biggest thing is go get help. I mean, go seek yeah. help from a professional. I really am a big, you know, go to marriage counseling, try to find somebody that you feel like is pretty competent. I really am a big fan of interviewing your marriage therapist, or these days you can look them up online, make sure they have a, a modality. Mm-hmm. Um, EFT is brilliant, but you know, I, and I've done a couple of podcasts on this and no offense to marriage therapists who are huge on just the reflective listening, but you know, what can be dangerous about reflective listening is if, you know, your partner says, Hey, uh, she knows I never liked spaghetti in the first place and all that stuff, you know, a marriage therapist who maybe doesn't have necessarily a, a kind of a really nice modality to kind of hold the narcissist in, um, you know, the, the, that reflective listening is going to say, okay, um, what do you hear your partner saying? Right. And then the wife will say, well, here's that he doesn't like spaghetti. So then, you know, she'll say, okay, and what are you saying? Well, I know he does like spaghetti, you know, and then she'll turn to the narcissist and say, what are you hearing? Well, she said she likes spaghetti, which she's or that I like spaghetti, but she's absolutely wrong. You know? And then it's at that point, then the, the therapist sits back and goes, okay. So with that information, you know, you guys work that out. Right. So it's like, you need to, to have a really solid framework so that, you know, there is a little bit more of a, kind of some accountability there in the communication. And it gives you a way to say, Hey, this isn't going to be a productive conversation. And so, you know, at the advice of our therapist, 
um, I'm, I'm going to peacefully kind of step back or step out of this one. And because I don't want things to get worse. So it's more of a strength based thing instead of a, you know, I'm running away, I'm leaving the conversation, but it's a, I don't feel like this is productive. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that we need to, um, step back from this conversation. So you're, you're, you're starting to set some boundaries. So that's, that's one of the biggest things I say is learning how to detach and not look for that home run. You know, now's the time I'll tell them this. And then it'll, they'll, then they'll understand everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the, the most difficult part is if you go back and look at the stuff we talked about earlier, if they really are, you know, coming from this place where maybe the stunted in childhood, um, think about when you're, and I, and I feel bad saying this, but the, the reality is think about when you're talking with a 10 year old or something, you know, and they can get, uh, you know, if you're saying, Hey, uh, you left this out or you did this, they're like, well, you did this, you know, you never did that or whatever, or they can get incredibly mad and then come back in five minutes and, and think, Hey, we're good. You know, <laughs> where you're, you're sitting there, you know, and, and like, you know, it's not that easy to just, um, say, Hey, we're fine. But then, you know, the, the narcissist might even say, wow, look at you. You're going to hang on to this, huh? You know, you're going to, you're going to hang this, so you're going to hold this over me forever. I mean, it's just, it's wild. So yeah. you really do need to have a uh, way to, to, to detach at strength-based kind of this framework to work from. So I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I have one question about the detachment. Yeah. What's yeah. the difference between detachment and just like disengaging or um, um, maybe yeah. just like retreating? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that. Um, I, I feel the big difference is, is when it's intentional and then when it's been discussed or talked about when the waters are calm. So a lot of times, even, you know, when things are okay, and that's the time when a lot of people don't want to bring anything up with, especially, I mean, even in with regular couples, I mean, that's one of the things you fight in couples counseling often where people say, okay, things are going good. I don't want to say, Hey, uh, can we talk about that disagreement we had a couple nights ago? Right. You know, because if you're not actively trying to improve the marriage, then your partner is going to say, you know, why are we bringing this up? You know, you, you, right. you don't want to rock the boat. Yeah, exactly. But, but the reality is when the waters are calm and, and, and that's where if we have these nice EFT skills, then we can kind of say, uh, hey, it, tell me where you were at. Take me on your train of thought of what was going on that night. You know, and then and if you know it's a safe time to talk and they can say, well, I was I, I realized now I was, I was frustrated or I was you know kind of projecting on you or or when you said this, you know, whatever it was, I took that personally. And then where your partner can say, okay, I get it. I was, I was actually frustrated from the kids. And so when I did say that, I know that it had some heat to it, but that was not toward you. Those are productive conversations. So when somebody just removes themselves, which I get, and uh, this is where I sometimes feel like all things therapeutic come together in the world of addiction, there's a concept called harm reduction and harm reduction is where, you know, you're going to try to reduce the intensity of whatever the addictive thing is, you know? So um, even with some clients that I have that are, uh, I don't know if there's uh, pornography involved. They're even you know trying to reduce from really, and it sounds bad to say, but it's like super bad to uh, maybe more generic. But now, I mean, we want to get it rid of it in, altogether. But sometimes, um, uh, you know, this harm reduction model, even in couples counseling, is if we're going to go from completely removing ourselves, which is better than staying in and fighting, mm-hmm. you know, um, the harm reduction model, you know, that follows is, and then the next step is we're going to purposely talk about why we're going to disengage. So if, if somebody has to just walk away to keep their sanity, mm-hmm. I get it. I really do. And yeah. it's, you know, and yeah. somebody's going to come after them. You're walking away. You always abandon me or whatever, but if they have to do that or else they know it's not going to go well, I get it. But then um, the difference is then being able to talk about why and, and then saying when the waters are calm, I feel like we're not getting anywhere, you know? And so when I, when I feel like I'm about to get in one of those situations, I just want you to know right now, I'm going to walk away and we can talk about it later. I've got a whole podcast called rules of God, try to make it really clever. Uh, constructive communication. Okay. But then I did, yeah, I did. I've made it rock rules of constructive communication, but then I made communication with a K. So it would be, see how clever that is. (laughs) Very clever. I did it the last minute and then I kind of regretted it, but then it was like, all it's out, you know? Um, (laughs) 
But in that one, I mean, I kind of talk about some of these things where, you know, you can't just walk away and then just say, we're never going to talk about it. It's really nice to be able to walk away, say, we're going to get back to this. And, uh, and then when you are, you know, apart, the rule, the theory there is you're going to have a little more empathy for what your partner's going through and, and that sort of thing. So that's a perfect um, so example. So you can disengage from the immediate situation, but then re-engage when it's calm. Yeah. It. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and so I just think that that needs to be a conscious effort and decision. All right. That was the first part of our interview with Tony Overbay. And that was just such a real, I really enjoyed that. Um, I thought there was a lot of really good practical advice. Yeah. And I really liked the part where he mentioned a couple of times um, to not be hunting for that perfect thing you could say that would suddenly make your spouse have an epiphany of, you know, their own selfishness. Um, I, it reminded me a lot of David Schnarch's work on communication. He says that so many couples just think, oh, we just have a communication problem. We just, our, our problem in our marriage is just, it's a communication problem. And getting tons of emails from people from my blog, so many people say their main issue in marriage is communication. But really it's more of like a, you're communicating just fine. You understand what the other one, you're just disagreeing or you're just not seeing reality the same and hunting for that perfect thing to say is just making you focus on something that you can't control. Yeah. So giving that up um, can be really powerful. And I, I really liked how he said that. So um, I did to today's, so the song You're So Vain is going to be from the, or my rewrite of it is going to be from the perspective of someone like Tony, who is having a couple come into their, into see into counseling who. He, the, the therapist who is the one singing recognizes uh, that one of them has this situation. So, nice. so Tony uh, didn't have to sing, but you <laughs> sung about. Uh, by proxy, Tony, you're singing, and I hope it's good. So, here is the rewrite of Your So Vain. Narcissism's no fun. You walked in to counseling like you were walking into a jail. You made the appointment weeks ago, but you're dreading it, I can tell. And it didn't take long for me to see by the blaming that you did. And all the answers you gave You're narcissistic Quite narcissistic And you're so vain It's probably hard to be around you You're so vain You're so vain That your partner thinks it's hard to be around you Around you Some advice now to your partner about some strategies they can use At times you may have to disengage Beware of emotional abuse Don't let them isolate or gaslight you And make you feel confused Know that there's ways that you can learn to cope with Successfully cope with they're so vain I'll bet it can be really hard for you They're so vain They're so vain Mental disorders can be hard on you Both of you 
right. There it is. Awesome. <laughs> Tony, your voice, you, you did great, Tony. <laughs> Sounded great. <laughs> All right. Um, so thanks again to Tony. Uh, Celeste, what's the takeaway for today? Okay. I think the takeaway is going to be whether you're married to a narcissist or not, um, to give up the idea that something you can say is going to cause your spouse to have a huge epiphany about their faults. That's good personal work. I like the sound of that. Um, excellent episode. Um, again, we will be releasing the second part of Tony's interview as a standalone uh, episode 17.5 in a couple days. But that's all we have for you today. So thank you so much for joining us on Marriage Theory. Okay.